0: This week's Press Gallery is brought to you by Callaway. Callaway's new Apex irons are the ultimate Forge player's distance iron. Unmatched feel, distance and control have been forged perfection to deliver category-defining performance. Callaway's 360 face cups generate industry-leading distance and unmatched feel and they'll get every golfer's attention. Tungsten weighing in each iron fine-tunes launch trajectory and delivers tremendous control. See perfection every shot with a new Apex at your local golf retailer. Or visit CallawayGolf.ca and see what makes Callaway the number one irons in golf. You can subscribe to the Press Gallery wherever you're listening now, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher or Spotify. Any questions, comments or concerns, do reach out to me. You can email me, eGraney at postmedia.com or you can find me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's Politics Podcast. I am your host, provincial affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, June 28, 2019, and this is the Senator? Senator! Edition. Bit of a Star Wars reference yeah, you guys. Yeah, I love that. Nerding up a little bit. Round the table with me today, my fellow legislative colleague, Claire Clancy, who's feeling a little under the weather.
1: Yeah, my body is betraying itself <laughs> in the last few months. So, yeah. It's betraying you and itself. Yeah, but I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's betraying me. Well, this is a good start. Thanks for dragging we'll yourself know. in. <laughs> no
0: worries. <laughs> we'll just
1: like, de-germify that microphone.
0: Exactly. I know. <laughs> Keith Durine leaning away from Clancy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've I've already had a pre-summer cold don't need another one thank you very much I guess it would be a summer cold now so <laughs> but uh, happy to be here.
0: Hey Breckenridge how are you mate? Good. Hey is that a new travel mug?
3: No I had it I don't normally bring in this one. Oh it's really nice. It's Thanks. really
0: nice it's kind of listeners I'll tell you it's white with a lovely kind of like what is that teal Tealy, kind of detailing.
3: Sea foam it's very nice. green it's insulated. kind of grip on it. Yeah
0: it looks very grippy. Contigo.
3: <laughs> they make the best coffee mugs. <laughs> this isn't an endorsement <laughs> or anything. I'm just,
2: <laughs> just really be our a new
1: sponsor.
3: Just really, <laughs> <just really laughs> big.
0: Uh, okay. We're going to be t- I'm just watching you take a giant swig of coffee now and be like ah. <laughs> okay, we're gonna be talking about a few things today, as per usual. We're gonna be talking about developments on the oil file this week. Uh specifically, we're gonna look at curtailment and crude by rail. We're also going to talk a little bit about the Western Premier's Conference and what came out of that. And finally, we're going to look at why the Premier wants to vote senators in, in Alberta. Let's start off with that, because that's what I call the episode. So when I said finally, we'll speak about that, I meant right now, let's talk about why Jason Kenney wants to change the whole Senate situation in Alberta. Well, during the election campaign, he said that one of the things the UCP would be pushing for would be Senate elections in Alberta. It's something that Alberta had since 1989. Then the legislation ended up kind of fizzling out in 2016 and Jason Kenney went ahead this week and said, you know what, because of the way senators voted on the federal bills C 69 and 48, which he's not a huge fan of, we're going to fast track legislation so that Albertans can vote in their senators. Is the nuts and bolts of it. Clancy, you covered this story.
1: Yeah. So, like a couple of other details of Bill 13 are that uh, basically they would hold elections in coordination with whatever election was um, relevant. So, for example, it sounds like the first one would be the municipal elections in 2021. Um, and three, names would be elected up to three names and then put forward to the federal government uh, for, I guess, suggestions on who Alberta senators would be. But it's really important to note that It's basically non-binding. The uh, prime minister can appoint whoever he wants to Senate. So even if Alberta does make recommendations for names, it doesn't necessarily mean that those would be the ones uh, put forward. And I think that's really the crux of what's kind of interesting about bringing in this piece of legislation.
0: Yeah, it's bringing in a piece of legislation that is actually not actionable at all.
1: Although...
0: Devil's advocate over there. Well, <laughs> with his mug. <laughs> under fancy the whole, mug. The
3: whole new under the whole new Senate appointment process, it's just being done. These nominees are being selected by some nonpartisan independent yep. panel. Then the names get put forward to the prime minister and just for rubber stamping, if is my understanding of it. So what's wrong with a nonpartisan Alberta voter panel putting people forward? Yes, it's non-binding and the legislation has no bearing on the federal government, but. The prime minister wanted to take, you know, wanted to make it so we're getting the best of the best. Well, why not let Albertans decide who's best to represent them? Just to play devil's
2: advocate on that. Yeah, although, look, the way they've run in the past here, right, we've had four Senate elections, 1989, 98, 2004, 2012. The only candidates that have ever run in these uh, have been conservatives. I think the 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 Evergreen Party ran a candidate or, or two at one point. The Liberals ran one in, in 1989. But the vast majority are from conservative parties. The NDP doesn't believe in an elected Senate. The Liberals haven't been running candidates other than that one time. So what you end up with is a list of conservatives that Albertans are voting for. In theory, the NDP or the Liberals could put in candidates. It just hasn't worked out. But when you come up with a list of three, four names that are all essentially from the same party or the same political ideology, I'm not sure that you're actually getting everyone represented there. Uh, So the way these have worked has not necessarily been what they've intended. And I think that's a flaw in it. The other part of this, it's costly. Uh, The last one in 2012 cost $2.1 million and that was piggybacked on a provincial election. So you can imagine the cost has now gone up uh, to run it in 2019. Maybe we're looking at $3 million, $4 million. It's going to be a little weird to run it with a municipal election, which is supposed to be obviously nonpartisan. And so you'll have part of it that is partisan with the Senate and then part of it that isn't with municipal elections. I think they're going to run a couple of referendums potentially with it as well. So it's kind of a mixed bag of things. That could get quite expensive. This isn't a cheap exercise uh, you know, to submit a list of names that the prime minister can ignore, and NDP leader Rachel Notley made the point that um, kind
1: of her main criticism of the bill before she actually saw it um, was that uh, it's potentially kind of legitimizing a institution that already underrepresents Alberta, um, and she was saying, why would we spend money doing that when we already know that the Senate doesn't reflect Alberta well because we have so few of them,
0: and because this is an election, Clancy, I was talking to you about this about. Um, about spending caps right and about how much how much candidates will actually be able to spend then it kind of adds another layer of
1: yeah so it is interesting they um the bill does change some things from the one that expired in 2016 so it's uh basically the senators running for candidacy will be under the um, elections finances and disclosures laws um that the NDP brought in and there is also caps on how much you can spend on a campaign so I think that's five hundred thousand dollars and then um Provincial political parties will be able to um, to support Senate candidacies, but they are limited to $100,000 in their support. So the legislation, uh, whereas previously there were no caps like that, now there are some um, in order to kind of control the spending. And
3: federal parties are
2: allowed to run candidates as well, right? But the liberals don't have senators.
3: No. The liberals, you know, there's... Uh, Justin Trudeau kicked them no, all out no, of they, caucus. They,
0: they do. Some still... I was identify to as a liberal. Exactly. They identify as liberal senators, even though technically they're independent. They're because not part he's of caucus. Like, It's not a thing. Yeah. There's a conservative role like, I am conservative. Yeah.
1: I am not independent. I love Emma's <laughs> <a> senatorial voice. <laughs> I'm just, I think someone, not, should, all senators uh, speak someone should tap her for a candidacy. <laughs> well, that,
3: that does put another <laughs> wrinkle <laughs> into this because the federal liberal party would not be involved in this at all.
2: No, in theory not. I just think it's going to be weird that you could have provincial parties and federal parties putting in candidates. You could have the Conservative Party of Canada and the United Conservative Party both putting in candidates. Probably they'd work out some arrangement where that didn't happen, but still maybe the Freedom Conservative Party would put the Alberta one Alberta Party. Maybe the People's Party of Canada would put one in, right? And so you've got this weird mix of provincial and federal interests that are now running for uh, to sit in the, in the second house in in uh, in Ottawa the more I hear what kind of a gong show it could be the more excited I am about the <laughs> prospect <laughs> let's bring it on
0: I' here Australia we do have an elected Senate and then they have a four-year term just like any other politician does but we also have a preferential ballot voting system which is how we end up with absolute wing nuts like You know, Fraser Anning in the Senate got like 19 votes or something, but the old the guy replaced was found to have two separate citizenships, so was kicked out of the Senate.
2: However, (laughs) there is an argument there to be made
0: that elected senators are a little more accountable. However, they're not accountable at all if they're not elected Senate. Like if it's not all the country electing the Senate, there is bugger all accountability at all. And I I brought this up with Jason Kenney and said, look, people have different ideas. That's the idea of democracy. Now, the reason Jason Kenney has pushed forward this bill is because he's pissed off about how he's saying the independent senators voted on 69 and 48. There's an awful lot of misinformation about that as it is. And he's conflating the two and basically building this narrative that the independent senators are Traitors to Alberta, basically, they're they're not representing Alberta's interests. Now, yep. the argument against that is democracy has all different voices. Democracy has differences of opinion. Mm-hmm. Just because someone doesn't vote the way you want them to vote doesn't mean that they're a traitor to Alberta, or that
3: the system is broken. And on Bill C. Forty Eight, I think it was the bulk of the senators from Alberta voted
2: against it. I think all but Grant Mitchell. Yeah. yeah 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 no i, I agree with them on that point uh there's an there's something kind of ugly here about the way Jason Kenney is bringing this forward that 's almost like of a revenge tactic or yeah. here i 'll show you because you didn 't vote the way I wanted you to vote, which seems to suggest that. Um, you know those Senators, uh, like our colleague Paula Simons, for example, who did vote in the end for bill c sixty nine as amended, that she didn 't do her job that she wasn 't listening to the people when in fact she and, and look we 're biased here we we're, we're friends of Paula, but she went around the country, she put a lot of effort into getting that bill amended and would have probably liked to see it amended more, but at the end of the day, she made a decision that this was actually in the best interests of Alberta uh, and for Jason Kenney to say you didn 't listen to the people, therefore. Um, this proves how badly we need elected senators who will listen to the people, which is a bit of a false argument in, in some ways. The whole thing that Emma brings up, to about an elected Senate in Australia, they have four-year terms. Here we don't. If we're going to have an elected Senate, we need to amend the Constitution as to how the Senate actually works. In theory, you could be electing somebody for life, right? Maybe they're in their 40s. Uh, we're talking about a 35-year term potentially, right, because they don't have to retire until they're 75, Electing somebody for 35 years, that's that's nuts.
3: That's not accountable.
2: That is not accountable as all. And Jason Kenney said, well, maybe they can in their election platform say that they will only stay eight years or 10 years. But there's they're not n- even
0: beholden to that. They're
2: not beholden to that. What, hap- what if that senator says, nah, I'm still doing a good job. I still like this. This is a pretty good job. I'm going to stick around for a while longer. How do you get that senator out? It's impossible. So- and
1: uh, during the tech briefing for the bill, they talked about how – term limits could be um, four to eight years because of the election cycles but the whole point here is that um, yeah you're right the prevent even if it's written out in provincial regulations that means nothing
3: mm-hmm. yeah the the term the term limit for the senator in waiting that person you could write into provincial legislation that the person who's waiting to get appointed could have a limit on that term and then they could have to stand for election but federally, that doesn't apply. The, I I think that it brings up an interesting debate around the Senate. That's something that Canada has every few years. Is it an effective Senate? Does it do? Does it hold the other branch of government to account? Does it represent everybody in Canada? Um, and is it elected and accountable to people? Who is it accountable to? And those are good discussions to have. But it, I don't know if in execution it's achieving any of those goals.
0: Before we go on, I did want to correct myself. Senators in Australia, they're elected for a period of six years, not six four. Years. Um, but there is a system of rotation that means that half the Senate retires every three years. Interesting. Yeah. So there's perpetual kind of motion with the Senate Yeah. yeah new blood
2: is coming in all yeah. the time. Yeah. The other sort of interesting thing to consider, um, you know, if you extrapolate this to, because uh, some people uh, want a- an entirely elected Senate around the country, that's the idea of Alberta doing this is to kind of show the rest of the Country lead by example uh, that we should have an elected Senate. Alberta may not entirely want that, as as Claire mentioned, uh, we have only six senators. That's uh, uh, BC has only six senators. Uh, the Maritimes, at least two of the Maritime provinces, I think have ten each. Uh, so population wise, we're not well represented in the Senate. Uh, it's it's sort of done on regional interests rather than provincial interests. But even still, we are well behind. If we extrapolate this and say every region or every province should have an elected Senate, we may not want that. That may actually run counter to Alberta's interest, may run counter to Jason Kenney's interest. If you think of Ontario and Quebec, they're probably going to be electing a lot of senators that are not going to be voting the way Alberta would like, like it to vote. So this may not actually be a good thing in the end run for Jason Kenney. Or Alberta,
3: and as as Paula Simons, the issue that has been raised in that if the Senate right now the Senate acts as sober second thought, and there are people who feel that that's not enough, and they need to be able to counter bad government bills when they come up or strike them down, and kind of create a more adversarial relationship or at least a, a check and balance. But if we get to a point where the Senate is turning down government bills. What happens when there's a conservative majority in Parliament and a liberal majority in the Senate, and they start killing bills passed in the House of Commons? What what does that mean for that relationship?
0: That's not
2: what the Senate's supposed to do. Well, You're right. also,
0: this actually happened in Australia. Like, there was a Labor government, there was a liberal majority Senate. What happened was the Senate was cock blocking all of the bills coming out of the government. They just, just like slammed them down, slamming them down. So what happened is the Governor General ended up dissolving Parliament and throwing the entire democracy into a whole kerfuffle. And then we had to go to an emergency election. Like there was a caretaker oh, government that under Gough Yeah, wow. he was like quoted. The former Prime Minister quoted was saying like. God save the Queen because nothing Mm. shall save the Governor-General. Wow, that's pretty intense. Yeah. Anyway, so that actually happened in Australia and that Mm. creates a complete and utter disaster for democracy. You can tell
1: that you're a political nerd when you're so interested in the workings (laughs) of the Canadian Senate (laughs) and all of us talking about this because I do think for most people it's kind of seen as a – Well,
0: interestingly enough, because I was reading about this and yeah, man, here's my nerdery showing. But I mean, the reason that the Senate was set up as an appointment based in Canada rather than an elected Senate was the idea is that it wouldn't have that combative relationship such as can happen in other places where it's more of an elected base. And that's the reason that they implemented it as a appointment based system, because the idea is to just be that chamber of sober second thought, not to be... Cock blocking bills, and that's probably not the right term to use. But hey, I've I think it's the right now. term. It's a very parliamentary <laughs> a very term. Very I would say. parliamentary. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that Senator Simons will get up and use that on the floor of the Senate. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But yeah, I mean that's the whole reason it exists th- this way. So if you're going to overhaul it, and you know what, there's been pushes, as you said, over and over again to maybe like look at an elected Senate. That's something that's ca- that Canada has to consider. Look what happened in Australia. The, the threat there is real. Look what happens in the US as well. I mean, you know, different system, obviously,
2: but yeah, we think, you run uh, those risks. Yeah, no, we think political inertia and, and political uh, uh, traffic jams right now are, are bad. Uh, just wait. If, <laughs> if we add another layer of uh, elected politicians, I don't know necessarily that's the answer to our problems.
0: No, it'll be like the, the state of affairs on 109 Street south of the bridge right now with all those roadworks. That's what'll happen terrible um all right let's move <laughs> can tell what's frustrating Emma, i in the city <laughs> yep uh okay let's move over to developments on the oil file this week there are a couple of things happen um keith you were paying a lot of attention to this
2: <laughs> sort of yeah <laughs> You're laughing about it. we did
0: <laughs> we had
2: lots of talks about we this we did yeah <laughs> there was a uh- <laughs> A slight change to the uh, curtailment rates. So the government increased production uh, by 25,000 barrels per day. It's a minor increase. Uh, there have been a few minor increases since uh, curtailment was uh, announced. I think it was December or January. Uh, we're still quite a ways off from getting back to full production. Uh, and I think the government says some form of curtailment is probably going to exist for at least the rest of the year. Um, but it is sort of showing a little bit of positive progress that uh, some of the supply glut is is being moved out. Um, the bigger issue, or I guess the bigger announcement, was that the Sonia Savage, the energy minister, said that there is, in fact, going to be an end to this crude by rail deal. Um, they are negotiating with uh, CIBC at this point to try to divest... The Alberta Government of its assets um, there is uh, they 're trying to avoid actually canceling the deal outright because we presume there are big cancellation fees for from c n and c p rail to do this and uh therefore they've hired this uh, this bank to try and help them find some buyers for these rail leases that the notley government uh, purchased back in or or signed up for back in february uh so that's the that's the big thing still no details and that's kind of the problem the they are not showing us the details and the other the other big issue and this is the one that that i wrote my column about uh, Sonya Savage is essentially saying that if the deal was allowed to go ahead, it would be a 1.5 billion dollar loss to the Alberta government. You will remember just four months early earlier, uh, Alberta Energy had a completely different take on this deal that it would actually bring the Alberta government a 2.2 billion dollar profit. So this leaves the uh, the average Albertan in a bit of a pickle. What to believe? It's almost a four billion dollar difference of opinion over four months. And you know, do you believe the energy ministry from February or do you believe the energy ministry from June? This is this is the kind of dilemma we're in. And
0: it's not just a political side here. We're talking about actual staffers. We're talking about public
3: servants. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like that's a massive difference. It, now, is.
3: it were they saying a profit on top of what we spent? Or yes, or new royalties.
2: And they said, it <laughs> "Well, that's the big question, isn't yeah. it?" Because yeah. if you
3: look at, because yeah. it was a three point seven billion dollar deal, and they were talking two point two billion dollars. Well, three point seven minus two point two is one point five billion, and there's your UCP number. It's going to cost it. So I don't know. Like I, I'm obviously looking at it simplistically, but I just kind of had that. Hey, those numbers all equal each other. But but yeah, I mean, is it a is it good that they're Not scrapping the deals and trying to to get them into the private sector, probably because it might save us penalties, um, was the idea of getting into the business of oil by rail uh, a good decision. It was probably the best decision the Notley government had at the time, both to get rail, both to get oil to market, and to help their political fortunes because they were really getting hammered last fall on the the bitumen bubble and the price differential. So they made a choice that the UCP disagreed with, uh, and the UCP said they they do away with it. So they're going forward with their campaign promise. We would like. Clearer numbers as to how this is going to shape out for the bottom line for the province, but it's and that's
1: too why early to, we're to all see, so excited right? for budget day in the fall because we'll finally have answers, hopefully, maybe, to some of these questions.
2: Maybe I, I'm even sort of a little uh, skeptical about that because they you're bu- skeptical. I am what? skeptical. That's kind of what I do. <laughs> Seems yeah, unlike you. Kate. Yeah, I know. Uh Just because they're these contracts, they do seem to have confidentiality clauses attached to them. The uh, we asked Rachel Notley again this week, you know, what can you tell us about the contracts? She she won't say. The energy minister won't say. Uh, the current one, Sonia Savage, at this point. So we may never actually see uh, what these deals were. We have to then sort of decide who we trust, uh, who, we, who we most believe on this. Uh, we may never, in fact, know whether the Alberta government made money from it, lost money from it. Uh, what, the, what the final numbers are going to be. I don't know how that's going to be reflected in the budget, but um, I, I, I do wonder uh, what they'll actually be able to share with us.
0: Yeah, and we've asked for more information. That's the reason we've been getting, we can't have it.
2: Well, no, and it's say. been interesting
1: that at this point we've been wanting that number now for over six months, right? So
0: Let's move over to the Western Premiers Conference. Always a barrel of fun, she said, her tongue firmly in her cheek. This was basically the Western Premiers showed up uh, all the premiers showed up this time, unlike last time when Rachel Notley did not go to the one that was up in Yukon and sent her deputy premier, Sarah Hoffman, instead, who then would not sign the joint communique because the Trans Mountain Pipeline spat was a whole big-ass thing. This time they all did. And actually this morning, it's Friday morning, uh, Jason Kenny put up a video about the meeting and my favourite part is at the beginning. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. They're at Fort Edmonton shooting muskets.
1: What? Yeah. It's un- I'm so excited to watch this. this. Oh, yeah.
0: my gosh. Yeah, like dudes in period <laughs> Why? costumes. Are like I don't know. They went to Fort Edmonton for a, for a funy, happy a time. The
3: premiers did? Yes. Yeah.
0: They went there that's on Wednesday great. night. Yeah, they went and hung out. It is and- a barrel of fun. You weren't lying. <laughs> barrel, I guess. Uh, that's out. a gun pun. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so they went and shot muskets. And actually, apparently at that discussion, Jason Kenny said Thursday afternoon in his closing remarks that – Basically, they had this kind of unstructured conversation and he estimated about 80% of it was about um, Indigenous communities getting more out of uh, resource development projects. So they ended up adding an entire separate item to the agenda in order to talk about that and that was ended up being part of their joint communique. Keith, anything out of the uh, <laughs> conference really catch your eye?
2: Not in particular – not really. I mean, I think everyone was focused on the relationship between Jason Kenney and John Horgan. Um, they uh, – when they were finally all together at the at the table giving their final news conference, Horgan had to run uh, after about 10 or 15 minutes. But, you know, things seemed kind of jovial. Uh, John Horgan kind of joked, hey, I wore blue to blend in, right, because he was amongst a bunch of conservative premiers.
0: He also <laughs> joked, you know what, please don't write that I'm storming out of the room because I'm not. I have to go – I well, have to I mean, go get my flight. And then I made a point of pointing out on the microphone. <laughs> and as uh, Premier Horgan storms out, and he's like, I'm not, I'm smiling.
2: <laughs> I'm walking slowly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well that was smart of him, him to be so <laughs> careful about <laughs> That's that. What he said. So, I mean, they they talked a lot about the points on which they agree uh, in an attempt to, you know, sort of show some camaraderie. And there are some things they, they agree on, interprovincial trade barriers, for example. But I mean, behind the scenes, let, let's be honest about what's going on here, right? The the Horgan government is still pursuing its uh, challenge to Trans Mountain, right? That's going to the Supreme Court. Uh, we're not sure on the date on that. They have launched, and I think it was yesterday in Calgary, a, uh, a court challenge against Bill 12 here in Alberta, the turn off the TAPS legislation. So that they're challenging Alberta essentially in court uh, in two different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill C-69 and Bill C-48, I don't know exactly John Horgan's thoughts on that, but I don't think he opposes them. So that's another one that uh, they're diametrically opposed on. Uh, Climate change, you know, BC has a carbon tax. They believe in carbon taxes. They believe in the Trudeau government's right to impose a carbon tax. Jason Kenny, a little different on that one. Scott Moe, also uh, a little different. And John Pallister. So, yeah. it's uh, So, there are some significant differences here. They just chose not to highlight them at the final press conference. That's
0: kind of typical, right? Like, they always want to look like they're working together and playing nice. Uh, although climate change um, was a big part of the joint communique that they issued at the end. And they kind of said during the press conference, yeah, look – Even though we have different takes on the carbon tax, we all agree on the need to take swift action on climate change. (coughs) And especially um, McLeod from up north, he made a point of saying, you guys don't even get it. Like, We need to educate you Southerners about what we're seeing up there because we're not the ones doing this. It's all your... Uh, we have a tiny population base, and so that did make a uh, make up a large chunk of that joint communique at the end
2: yeah um, i 've never been called a southerner before that was kind of interesting <laughs> <laughs> You'd, you hear that but he 's right i mean climate change does disproportionately affect northern the northern climates right they, their landscape their food supply their uh, how they live, how they design their buildings and roads are all dependent uh, and all change because of of changes uh, due to the climate. So that that was a, an interesting point he made. Uh, but also, I mean, what they agreed on on climate change is pretty weak at this point. It's like let's let's each submit an inventory of what each of our provinces is already doing on climate change. So it yeah. might help help each other out. Uh, and you know we'll talk about the need to deal with it but that's kind of yeah, it it wasn't <laughs> exactly
0: making giant strides in any way shape or form no in fact there was more there seemed to be more uh, emphasis put upon bringing down internal trade barriers and bringing down barriers to interprovincial qualifications as well than anything to do with climate change like when when um Jason Kenney was asked at the press conference did you talk about climate change his his answer was yes <laughs> that was it for Jason Kenney to have a one word answer that is like I don't know if I've ever heard him just have a one word answer to any question ever um,
2: w- once only once when yeah. he was asked whether he regretted his past actions uh, fighting against LGBTQ rights in San Francisco he said sure that was the it's, <laughs> right
0: <it. laughs> so good then. memory Keith wow <laughs> okay so twice <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> right but I mean when he doesn't like a question when it's an uncomfortable uh, topic for him yeah he will sometimes go to the one word answer yeah and
0: then Kevin from Starmet Metric- I was like, uh, uh, we were all like kind of shocked by that because, and Kevin's like, oh, so um, okay, so what, what did you talk about? And then, <laughs> you know, at this point, all of the premiers weighed in because it was the last question. And often the guys from the smaller provinces don't get questions. I always feel bad for them. Yeah. Like Sandy Silver from Yukon is just sitting there, just kind of hanging out. <laughs> yeah, didn't answer a single question. I'm like, oh.
2: And the premier from Nunavut, and I forgot his name, he he left before anybody asked him a question. Yeah,
0: he did. He had to get a flight as well. All right, let's move over to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we've seen, read, or listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy. Dear listeners, Clancy, kick us off, mate.
1: I've been in a world where I've just been in bed listening to podcasts, as, which I You're guess is bugger. like my normal life, normally anyway. So I'm going to recommend a podcast I listened to this morning. Uh So it's really good. It's from a podcast that I love called uh, Reply All, which is about the internet. But it's, the so episode, it's so good. The episode is called Dark Pattern, and it's about how um, the US government uh kind of allowed uh, free tax system, so like TurboTax, for example, to take on a contract to give Americans the chance to file their taxes for free, but about how um, these companies actually created a really difficult web whereby people were still spending hundreds of dollars, and it's on the heels of a ProPublica investigation into it. Um, so the episode is interviewing an awesome ProPublica reporter about kind of how he investigated this issue and now what's going on. So yeah, I'm going to recommend that.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm re- recommending a piece from a publication called Pacific Standard. Uh, this is actually an excerpt from a new book called Underland by Robert McFarlane. And it is uh, interesting. It is about a enormous project going on in Finland right now, uh, a project underground that is supposed to last 100,000 years And it is all designed to store nuclear waste. The world's nuclear waste would all go potentially into this enormous underground durable facility in Finland. And I bring this up because climate change continues to be a thing. And more and more people I'm hearing, including our own David Staples here, are advocating the expansion of nuclear as a way to deal with climate change. The only problem with nuclear is we don't really know what to do with the waste. So the Finns... Apparently, have come up with a solution. And when it
0: goes wrong, it goes horribly wrong, it as does. witnessed in Chernobyl and Japan as well. Yes. Um, I'm going to recommend a documentary called "Crossing the Line." It is on YouTube. It is currently—I'm not sure if you guys are aware—the Cricket World Cup is on right now. I know cricket's massive in Canada.
2: Go Bangladesh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but this is an awesome documentary. It's basically the story of Australia versus South Africa when Australia went on this tour to South Africa. This might be something that was on your radar. The Australian cricket team tampered with the ball and used sandpaper to actually give it spin. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you guys remember this. Oh, it was a huge thing. Like the Australian Prime Minister weighed in. Um, It was a whole just giant. It rocked the world of cricket to its core, and that's not overstating it. I mean, imagine if, for example, Canada was found to have been um, illegally weighting pucks in the World Cup of, of like hockey or something. I mean, it was that it, it's massive. I cannot overstate yeah, how big that's this crazy. was. So basically, Australians were caught cheating, and Australians hate cheaters. So it was a whole thing. Australians turned on the cricket team. Like it was just massive. Anyway, it's a great documentary about it that seemed to be following. It was it was done out of South Africa, and it was just following the tour as it went along. And the tour had these other issues as well. There were like these fights off the field between players and all kinds of stuff. But then the ball tampering happens, So it is just phenomenal. It's really great. And uh, yeah, Australia, you guys suck. Stop ball tampering. <laughs> My people. Dave, take us home.
3: Um, I'm going to recommend a podcast series called The Man in the Window. Or Man in the Window, sorry. Not The Man in the Window. I loved that one. From uh, Wondery and the LA Times. It is a look at um the man who would eventually become one of california's most deadly serial killers uh the golden state killer i know he was the subject of the book i'll be gone in the dark this is kind of a, a tracing the his path of uh violence and death uh looking at it through his victim's eyes uh, and it's, uh, it's uh, a few episodes in. It's all v- it's very good. It's gripping. It is dark. Uh, listener discretion is advised. Some of the details are kind of grim, but it's a really uh, captivating listen.
0: Guys, thank you so much for joining me, Claire Clancy, Keith Duran, Dave Breckenridge for another episode of the Press Gallery. We do encourage you, of course, to subscribe. You can do so wherever you're listening now, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify. As always, any questions, comments or concerns, shoot me an email, egraney at postmedia.com or find me hanging around on Twitter where I'm shooting out puffball gifts and cute kittens and trying to make the world a better place, one puppy at a time. Emma L. Graney, it's my handle. We will be back again this time next week for more Press Gallery.